Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. And one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, good evening, friends. Pro-life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life, one of the largest pro-life ministries in the nation. Welcome to Praying for America. We are indeed working to save this country. I want to talk a little bit about the 2024 race and uh, just a few observations uh, in passing. But I want to show you, interestingly, from Scripture, how this race is related to the story we read. It's a lengthy story, but I, I ask your uh, indulgence. I mean, it's the Word of God, so none of us uh, gets tired of the Word of God. Uh, but it's a long passage that uh, talks to us about a lesson that really does pertain to politics and to the presidential race of 2024, because it has to do with the willful blindness of the human heart. When we want to learn something, when we want to see something, we can learn it if we're open to it. Uh, but when we don't, the clearest evidence can be right before our eyes, like how bad things are in America, or what the price of gas or groceries might be, or what the level of crime might be in our Democrat-run cities, and yet it doesn't penetrate. John chapter 9 is all about that. So what I'd like to do tonight is, is read this rather um, uh, extended passage, and then talk about, just think out loud with you about some of the dynamics of the 2024 election. Okay, so John chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither this man nor his parents who sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, he just looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, And then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, 
for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you will teach us and they cast him out bodily. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Then Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, there would be no sin in that. But we see, you say, and your sin remains. Let us pray. Father, we 
pray for America tonight that you would heal the blindness, that you would open the hearts of the American voters, open them fully, Lord, to yourself, open them fully to see what is going on in America, open them fully to be persuaded by the evidence that is right in front of their eyes, not to explain it away, not to deny it, not to try to punish people for pointing to it, but rather to take it to heart that they might discern what truly is good for this country and what kind of leadership is good for this country. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Open our hearts, Lord, that we may love him. Lord, there is much blindness in America and that is causing our destruction. There are those blinded by hate there are those blinded by hatred for Donald Trump. There are those who hate freedom, who hate our history, who hate the gift of human life, who hate you. Lord God, transform that hatred into love and transform our blindness into sight before it is too late. We don't want to lose this country. Give us an enlightened electorate to vote out the tyrants, to vote out the haters, to vote out those who reject America. Let us reject them who reject America. Let us see you in everything. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I, you are informed patriots and you are informed Christians. So I think that most of you already at this point, before I even say anything else, can see that there are tremendous parallels between what is happening in this dramatic chapter of Scripture, John chapter 9, and what is uh, happening in America as we get into deeper into the election of uh, our next president. It speaks to what so many... Um, what so many citizens have been saying to me and to, to you and to others, that, hey, this is a spiritual war that we're in. These political battles, divisive as they are and unprecedentedly so, are really just manifestations of a spiritual battle. Well, here in John chapter 9, we get to the core of what that spiritual battle entails. And let me put it this way. The evidence is plain for all to see that we've got people in power who hate America. The evidence is plain for all to see that America is in decline. President Trump's uh, dramatic conclusion at his rallies where he puts the music on in the background, we are a nation in decline. And then he goes through that litany that you've all heard before. That's evidence. He's not invoking opinions there. He's laying out facts about a nation in decline, economically, morally, our education system, the condition of our airports, our standing on the world stage, our border, our military, everything, everything. It was so great, again, 
the evidence is on both sides, right? You've got the decline that America is in right now. And then you've got the tremendous position we were in under President Trump. Again, it's not about political opinions. Just lay out the facts. Of the, this, the, the numbers don't lie. Look at the numbers from the economy under Trump, whether it's the price of gas or the, the, you know, the average family wage or, or you know, look at your 401ks. And just by any metric, we were better off under him. We were better off four and five years ago than we are now. So the evidence is in front of us all. And because of that evidence, most people in America have come to the conclusion and have had, had this conclusion for a long time now, that we're going in the wrong direction. But as some commentators have accurately pointed out, uh, maybe it hasn't gotten bad enough for some voters. I mean, they, 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 they have this, maybe this general sense that we're going in the wrong direction, but they still vote for the people that are leading us in the wrong direction. Now, why is that? And some people will call it tribalism. You know, hey, you know, I mean, the quality of the candidate can't really matter that much when you had a, 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 a man who's uh, increasingly suffering from uh, dementia sitting in his basement getting elected and John Fetterman getting elected to the Senate in Pennsylvania. Obviously, candidate quality doesn't matter anymore. I mean, you got to be blind and deaf and dumb and a whole lot of other things to elect that man. And yet it happens. Blind loyalty to the Democrat Party is destroying America. Interestingly, in this passage, you see the enemies of Jesus trying to deny the evidence. Oh, that's not, first they try to say, no, 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 that's not, that's not the same man. And the parents, of course, contradict that. Oh, yeah, that's, my, that's our son. The man himself said, yeah, I'm the same man. And then they try to question the motives of uh, how he got healed. The, I mean, the, the mighty evidence of, hey, you should be supporting Jesus, is that he did this mighty miracle, right? That's why he did it. He didn't go around healing everybody who was blind. He healed this blind man so that people might begin to believe in him like the man himself ultimately did. And they try to turn a good accomplishment into some kind of crime. Again, you see parallels here all, all the way through. This man can't be from God. He's a sinner. Why? Because he did this on the Sabbath. You see, not the slightest little bit of work, making the mud paste, smearing it on the eye, not the slightest bit of work was permitted on the Sabbath. And so this norm, scrupulously observed, was obviously broken here. So they said, oh, he can't possibly be from God. But the counterargument was, well, neither can a sinner do a mighty miracle like this. And this was the cause of the division. But they tried to... to um, keep people from believing in Jesus by maligning him. And then when persuasion didn't work, when they couldn't disprove the miracle, and when they couldn't uh, turn people away from Jesus simply by invoking the Sabbath, they resorted to physical exclusion 
throwing people, including the man himself, out of the synagogue and instilling fear in people. In other words, anybody who aligns himself with Jesus is going to get thrown out of the synagogue. And the parents of the man himself, they had to be happy that their son could finally see. But look how afraid they were to get behind the man who had cured their son. Oh, oh, ask him, ask him, ask him. In other words, they didn't want to say anything positive to Jesus for fear that they would be excluded by the elite, by the ruling class. What kind of parallels do we have here? Now, listen, President Trump would be the last person to want to compare himself to Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He prays. He tries to follow Jesus. But nobody's putting him on a divine pedestal. Not President Trump and not me. But the parallels in the situation are obvious. You've got a ruling class here, the Democrats, and you've got the elite Republicans too, the establishment rhinos, who, you know, when you take a certain position, when you take a certain pro-Trump position, when you take certain positions about America and about values or about pro-life, you're going to be excluded. You're going to be persecuted by a weaponized government. Here, they had weaponized the religious leadership. I we're going to throw you out of the synagogue if you start getting behind this Jesus. And yet, looking objectively at this Jesus and what he was doing, you had a mighty miracle here that nobody really could deny. Brings us then to the real healing of the blindness. You look at how the blind man himself, who was healed, referred to Jesus throughout the story. He started by saying, oh, he's a man. That man, Jesus, healed me. And then they said, well, you know, as, this, as the drama unfolded, they said, well, what do you think about him? And the division began, oh, he's a prophet. That was the second level that the man saw Jesus. Third level was, uh, well, you know, come to think of it, nobody's ever heard about a man being uh, uh, healed from blindness from birth. And... Uh, as they started to see this outright persecution of Jesus, the man started to come more to his defense. They were calling him a sinner, and he said, well, he must be from God if he healed me in this way. And finally, here's the real healing of the blindness. Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? The man said, it is I. And then he called him, not a man, not a prophet, not from God, but he called him Lord, and he worshipped him. He didn't only speak up for him. He worshipped him. That was the gaining of his sight. The sacrament of baptism, by the way, that most of us have received, is called the sacrament of enlightenment, because we see Jesus. In fact, the familiar words from Amazing Grace come from this passage I just read. I was blind, but now I see. And so, that's the healing. And notice the cause of, the, of the, the blindness here. This is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. The man had the willingness to see. Do you believe, Jesus asked him? And he said, tell me who he is so that I may believe. He had the willingness to learn. He had the willingness to let the evidence lead him to the right place. And Jesus said, it is I. So he worshipped him. The Pharisees were listening to all of this. They saw the same evidence. 
And they refused to believe in him. Why? Not because they saw different evidence. Not because they read different polls. Not just because they had different economic numbers. They saw the same evidence. The reason they didn't believe is that their hearts were closed. And so they challenged Jesus, you calling us blind? And Jesus said, there's no sin in being blind. The sin is in your unwillingness to see. And then, while being blind, you claim that you do see. This is exactly where the Democrat Party is right now. And so Jesus said, if you were blind, there would be no sin in that. But we see, you say, and your sin remains. You MAGA people are a threat to democracy, the Democrats, and led by Dark Brandon, will say. You're a threat to democracy. President Trump, he's an insurrectionist. He's a threat to the republic. He's disgraced. Disgraced? The man should be honored every moment of the day for the historic way in which he has made America great in the past. He did it twice, and now he's ready to do it a third time. He's ready to endure all this crap that's thrown at him. This is a man who loves the country, believes in the country, defends the country more than any of his critics could ever dream of doing. He should be honored, and instead he's persecuted and prosecuted and indicted, and they want to put him in prison. And, and, and the Democrats who are doing this are the ones who try to present themselves as the defenders of democracy. If you were blind, there would be no sin in that. But we see, you say, and your sin remains. The arrest, the multiple indictments, the 91 charges brought against President Trump are like the Jews deciding that they're going to throw out of the synagogue anyone who aligns with Jesus. It is meant to instill fear in you and me. And this is where we fight back and this is where we win. Fighting back and winning, of course it has to happen in the voting booth. That's ultimately the peaceful, constitutional way in which we avert this, this disaster of tyranny that has come upon us. But before even it gets to the voting booth, friends, we've got to fight back at this stuff here right here. Here's where the battleground is, in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own hearts. I've often quoted to you the saying, the battle is in the mind of the enemy. The enemy wants you to think that you face too formidable a foe. The enemy wants you to think that you're losing. The enemy wants you to think that the odds are stacked against you. The enemy wants you to think that you're in the minority. The enemy wants you to think this is not winnable. The battle starts here, in our own minds and hearts, as we refuse to accept that narrative, as we refuse to be intimidated, as we refuse to give in to fear for standing with and for our country and the one who has been one of its greatest leaders and wants to be so again, President Trump, as we refuse to let them take away from us the right to decide who our nominee will be and who our president will be, as we refuse to let them take away from us the right to think and to speak freely, if we think there was fraud in the 2020 elections, 
Just as President Trump and his team spoke up, we ought to be free to speak up. That's where we win it first, right here. In our minds and hearts. And that's why the mugshot of President Trump has become and should remain an iconic political image that we rally around. That look of defiance on his face. That look says it all. I, I, I thought to myself from the moment I saw that, that mugshot, how did he do it? How did he get the perfect expression on his face? It's an expression of, boy, am I angry, and I am justly angry, and you don't understand the power of the anger that you just unleashed, because the anger on my face here isn't just mine. It represents the anger of a people, of a people committed to liberty. You don't know what you've unleashed. And it's true, the Democrats made an astonishing political blunder here. They made a political blunder of historic proportions. It's a PR disaster. Did they not know it was going to backfire? Did they want it to backfire? But the expression on that face, we've got to align ourselves with that now. I think I'm going to... I should put that here, right? Maybe this picture has served us well, but maybe we'll put the mugshot there from now on, right? Do you agree? I got to get, get a nice copy of it. 51% of the American people believe the indictments are largely political. Dick Morris just said this the other day after a new poll from McLaughlin. 56% of the people said... The DOJ should get out of the election. That's right. The courts should get out of the election. The Department of Justice should get out of the election. The election belongs to us. And indictments, by the way, you know, talk to people about these indictments. Indictments are unchallenged allegations is all they are. It's not a result of an adversarial process where the defense gets to make its argument. It's a one-sided thing. So there's that, and then there's the fact that... Uh, yeah, people do see this as politically motivated. Now, we've got a big election fight ahead. I, I mean, President Trump continues to have the primary really, really, um, really wrapped up, essentially, although we still have the primary process unfolding, obviously. But some people are worried, you know, can he win in the general election? Now, you know, one of the things, and Dick Morris was pointing this out the other day, we have to look at when we look at the Democrats. First of all, I did an analysis for you about states that are in play. You know, this only boils down to, this only boils down to a few states and maybe 50,000 votes. Um... And some of the key states, let me remind you, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, top three, I would tell you, and Michigan, throw Michigan and Pennsylvania in the mix. Um, all of those of you that have influence in those states, not only who live there, but who have influence there, my goodness, every day starting now needs to be election day. I mean, we've got to be full force on convincing voters about the things we're saying here. Um, but we've got the Democrats considering themselves to have 
the blacks, the Hispanics, single women, and young voters under 30. But you know, you look at the picture and, you know, predictors and pollsters and prognosticators will say, well, you know, because the Democrats have those voting blocks, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard for, for, for President Trump to win unless A, B, and C. But let's make sure we're taking into account the changes in those very demographics, you know, especially now with this mugshot. You know, we've got, I mean, President Trump has been making historic gains in the black community already. But I've heard from a lot of black men that, hey, you know what? We identify with him now more than ever because this kind of misapplication of law, we've suffered from this. We know what this means. And so there's that. And then you've got he's gaining in the Hispanic community uh, as well. The Hispanic community understand about immigration. They understand the consequences very directly of open borders. By the way, you know why the southern border is open, right? Why is the southern border open? Mark Levin said this the other day. Because the Democrats want to win Texas. That's why. They don't care about uh, the mayor of New York or the governor of New York whining and complaining about the illegal immigrants being sent to New York. They couldn't care less about that. Because even there, the truth is starting to come out and they're saying, hey, this is a responsibility of the federal government. Governor, governor of New York said that the other day. Biden doesn't care. The Democrats aren't looking at that. They're looking at the prize of winning Texas, turning, getting enough Democrat voters into Texas. They could capture that state. They're trying to consolidate power in every which way. This is why they, they criticize the conservative Supreme Court justices so they can try to make a case for changing the court and packing it with their own people. and All the different mechanisms, everything they're doing, everything is about consolidating power for themselves in a permanent way in America. They want to make it a one-party country. This is what we've got to resist. They want to make it a one-party country. Turning Texas is key to that. Is key. Now, I think it's more elusive than they, than they sometimes uh, pretend it to be. But nevertheless, it's an important battlefield. And this is why the border is wide open. These people, they're flooding into Texas. And the Democrats want them to just, okay, let's, let's let them vote. This is our voting. The open border is a massive Democrat voter registration scheme. And then as far as the young people who, um, you see, Biden, he's got a problem with the economy, obviously. That's on his shoulders. It's on the shoulders of the Democrats. And the young people are feeling that. This voting group that is 30 and under, recent polling that uh, Dick Morris reported on shows that the support for Biden in that group has gone down from 60% to 53%, and Trump's support among that group has risen six points. This is the younger, uh, the younger voters, 30 and under. Why has this change occurred? Because of the bad economy. Going back to John chapter 9, they see the evidence. 
And they don't have, many of them don't have that blind loyalty to the Democrat Party, that tribalism, that uh, strong enough to overcome their concerns about the fact that like 42% of them say, they're really struggling to make it in this economy. And another 41% saying, well, they might not be struggling, but it's not easy. This is going to affect the vote. So don't give in so easily to negative prognostications about the ability of President Trump to win in the general election. And I think we ought to be focusing, you know, he, he shouldn't show up for the Republican primary debates, but he should call for a debate with Biden, even now. Because this is more and more shaping up to be, it's going to be a Trump-Biden rematch, if, if, of course, Biden can, you know, last long enough physically. I don't think politically, I don't think politically that it's a foregone conclusion that he'll be out of the race. You got, you got some great commentators that are saying there's no question he'll be, now he will not be the nominee. And sometimes I've thought that way. And there are others equally smart and experienced who say, no, no, he's definitely going to be the nominee. I think politically there are very strong forces going both ways on that. Some in the Democrat Party who really want him out of there, others that really want him to stay in there, because others are really calling the shots, Obama. But that remains to be seen. But don't let people so easily convince you that it's going to be hard for, for, for President Trump to, to win the general election. It's going to be a battle, no question about that. We've got to give every ounce of strength every day starting right now. But the point is there's some very, very good dynamics happening here. Look at the changes in those demographic communities that the Democrats think they have in their pockets. And that's an area, that's going to be an area for increasing encouragement. Because President Trump can appeal to those communities. He can appeal to the blacks. He can continue to persuade the Hispanics. He can continue to persuade even single women. and young people. President Trump can do and say things that will continue to attract more and more people in those, in those demographics. But can Biden turn the economy around? No. No. Can he try to appeal to some of these independents, especially by distancing himself from some of the more radical fringes that have taken over the Democrat Party, the radical position? Actually, he can't. They won't let him. So this is where President Trump has a major advantage over Biden in persuading the electorate. Hey, you know what? Depends on us. Let's get behind him. Let's get, the, uh, the, let's get these messages out. And of course, let's bring the power of prayer to this whole thing once again. Father, we pray. We pray for America. Father, we need you. Our country needs you. Our country has you. Our founders were immersed in their faith and in your word. So we thank you, Lord. We lift up to you all those who are blind. Open their eyes, Lord. We were blind, but now we see. Many of us can sing in that beautiful, amazing grace hymn, quoting from John chapter 9. We do see, Lord, we see your, your great blessing to America. 
We see that Jesus is the only Savior. We trust in him. We turn to him. We invoke his blood upon us and upon our children. Our eyes are open to the dignity of human life, even with the child in the womb. Our eyes are open to the blessing of freedom. We are not blind to what tyranny is. And Lord, we are not blind to the evidence right in front of our eyes that the Democrat Party hates America and that those in power now are destroying America. Our eyes are open wide to the weaponization of our government, to the Marxist tactics of our enemies. Our eyes are open wide. Open the eyes, Lord, of all our other citizens as well. And Lord, look kindly upon our own prayer requests, our needs, our intentions, with which we now approach you as uh, Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, thank you. Thank you for keeping your eyes open. Thank you for keeping your eyes on Jesus. And let's save America together. Pro-Life Leader Frank Pavone here. Connect with me on social media. FR Frank Pavone is the address. FR Frank Pavone. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany, one of the many members of Priests for Life. Prayer is the foundation of the pro-life movement. I invite you to join Priests for Life in prayer each day for an end to abortion. We have many different prayer campaigns throughout the year, and you can find them all at prayercampaign.org. Please sign up with us to be a regular prayer partner. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.